You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. All right, so we have been in Proverbs, and if you've been uh, following along, either reading on your own or watching our social media posts where you all, people from Discovery, are posting videos every day about Proverbs, you're maybe beginning to see a pattern. Uh, In in Proverbs 1 through 9 in particular, there's sort of a a thing that's going on uh, where we have, I would say, layers to the Proverbs. And layers like a parfait, not an onion, like a parfait. And so Proverbs has layers. There's the layer, and as we look tonight, today especially, in Proverbs chapter 8, there's the top layer, which is sort of the idea of like Solomon talking to his subjects. So we have the top layer of the parfait. This is the whole book of Proverbs. It's the Proverbs of Solomon, and he's sort of speaking to his subjects. And then underneath that, sometimes Solomon will take the voice of a father, kind of like a royal father speaking to his son. So that'd be our second layer here, is is a father speaking wisdom to his son. But then as we get lower, especially when we get around to like chapter 7, if you guys were reading with that yesterday, we get this strange kind of narrative within all of those layers, right? So it's Solomon speaking to his subjects, but he's taking the voice of a father to his son, and that father is now telling the story of a wayward woman and how she goes after this young man and sort of entraps him. And then the bottom layer we have would be this idea of that wayward woman represents more than just the story on the surface. She sort of represents folly or foolishness. And then in Proverbs 8, which we'll look at today, we get this idea of the woman that represents wisdom. And so all of Proverbs has this lower level of folly versus wisdom, of what is, what is wise and what is foolish. And then, of course, the whole thing is in the Bible, right? So the whole thing is for us to consume from God, like all of this parfait, every layer is God's word to us. And so we have all of these layers And as we go through Proverbs 8 today, I hope we can dissect all of these layers. But in order to get to Proverbs 8, we're going to start with Proverbs 7, okay? So if you're with me, if you have your scripture journal, we're going to dive in and we're going to start out in Proverbs 7. It's on the screen. If you don't have your scripture journal, if you have an old school Bible, even better, we're going to start Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6. And again, this is Solomon, but he's taking the voice of father speaking to his son, and now he's going to relay this narrative, And he says in verse six, for at the window of my house, I have looked out through the lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. A young dude, a kid who ain't got no sense, right? We've all, we can relate, right? Verse 10, it says, and behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the streets, now in the market, at every corner, she lies in wait. Skip down to verse 13. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, verse 18, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love for my husband is not at home. Happy Mother's Day, right? I mean, that's where we're at this morning. Sorry, it's where we are. Verse 24, the father kind of concludes this whole narrative. He says, and now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. He is not mincing words, is he? This father is giving a stark warning to his son about the dangers of adultery and sexual sin. 
And he's saying, like, look at all this stuff. There, there, there's no such thing, as we see from this story, there's no such thing as a, a one-night stand. He's saying there's no such thing as just like a fun fling without any consequences. He's saying what might seem like exciting can really become deadly. It will wreck your life. The way of the world, the way of so many people where if it feels good, do it. Don't think of the consequences. He's saying that will lead you straight to the grave. So it's a stark warning against sexual sin, against adultery from this father to a son. He's saying it'll mess you up. It wrecks families. It ruins careers. It damages reputations. It is like a, a highway that leads to the grave. So his father's very serious about it. But there's more going on here as we get further. All of that, there's a layer where all of that is definitely true, that we should hear. But then as we get to Proverbs chapter 8, we realize there's more depth to this than just the surface level of a story that is warning us against sexual sin. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 8. And this is our Proverbs today. It's May 8th, and so we're going one proverb a day. May 8th, Proverb 8, here we go. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance to the portals, she cries aloud, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. So after in Proverbs 7, we meet this sort of wayward woman or, or the wily woman. We turn the page to Proverbs 8, and we hear about this woman of wisdom. And we see a lot, of, a lot of things about her. If we went down through this whole chapter, which I hope you'll read it today on your own, but verses 7 and 8, it shows that her instructions are trustworthy and true. Verse 13, it shows that she hates arrogance and deception, things that are dishonest. Verse 14, she possesses good counsel. She has insight and she is strong. She's got strength. Verses 15 and 16 say, kings and rulers, all who rule justly, they do so by her. And then verses 18 and 19, it shows that her wisdom is more valuable than silver and gold. So this whole chapter here begins to paint this picture of a very wise woman. And really what's happening is it's painting the picture of wisdom, of knowledge, of insight. And it's taking all of this and painting it as a picture of a woman. And so it's sort of like an allegory of like, here is God's wisdom embodied in the form of this woman. It's the embodiment of God's wisdom. It is wisdom personified and this idea of a lady. So we have lady wisdom versus the wayward woman. And that's the, the two kind of the comparison we see in Proverbs 7 and Proverbs 8. And so now we get more into this bottom layer of the idea of wisdom versus folly, of, of what is wise versus what is foolish. And here's what I want, to see, want you to see in the comparison here, is that both women here, there's sort of little things we see of both of them. Both of them are attempting to reach the young and the simple. And if we got into the Hebrew, that idea of like the simple, it's really talking about somebody that's maybe like, not so much like dumb ignorant, but just like hasn't learned it ignorant, right? Like that's what ignorance really means. It's not that you're stupid. It's just that you, you don't know yet. You're not versed in that. And so there's this idea of openness when it talks about the simple. And so we have this idea where both wisdom and foolishness are going after the simple. And often it's portrayed as a young person, someone who hasn't learned these things yet. The wayward woman uses her lips to kiss, Right? She grabs the guy. She grabs the young guy with no sense and she kisses him, right? 
But then we see the woman of wisdom, she uses her, her lips to whisper truth. She's not going after him. She's not chasing him down and grabbing him. That was the wayward woman. That's her style. She runs after the guy. She grabs him. She pulls him home with her. But wisdom is there at her door, calling out, reaching out a hand, extending an offer and an invitation. We see at the end, the wayward woman leads to death. Following foolishness and folly, it is a path to the grave. But the woman of wisdom leads to life. She's showing us a way to have a better life. She's showing us the secrets of knowledge. And these are the embodiments of what is wise and what is foolish. And we as the reader, as we kind of digest all of this, are left with the question, well, where am I? What am I pursuing? What's coming after me and what am I going after? And here's what I want us to see. The first kind of big principle in these two Proverbs is that one is calling and one is pursuing. The, the way of wisdom calls to us. It extends an invitation, but the ways of folly and foolishness and sin and temptation, it will chase you. So one calls to us and one pursues us. And so we see this right here, Proverbs 7, 13. Again, the wayward woman, she seizes him and kisses him, but Proverbs 8, 4 says, to you, O men, I call. Wisdom calls out. So here's what I want us to see, is that we can fall into foolishness, but wisdom takes work. Foolishness is gonna pursue us, is going to grab us. If we don't do anything, it is so easy just to fall into that. But wisdom will not come by accident. Wisdom must be pursued. We must answer the invitation of wisdom. Temptation will chase you, but wisdom will invite you. I have some examples of this. Here's where I've seen this at work in my own life. When I, uh, most of my life, until I hit about age 30, I didn't really have to work to be kind of like fit, to be sort of in shape. Like I've never been like super duper in shape, like not an athlete or anything, but like it was never hard for me up until age 30 to just be thin and feel okay. That was never, I didn't have to, I could eat what I wanted. I didn't have to worry about exercising. But then I hit 30 and something changed. All of a sudden, like my waistline grows, even though nothing else in my life has changed. I'm like, what is going on here? And so I learned at age 30, I had to start exercising if I wanted to maintain the same level of good energy and also be able to fit into my clothes. And so age 30s, like early 30s, that worked out for me. Then I hit 35 and I'm like exercising and trying to run and stuff, but that's not enough all of a sudden. And then after age 35, it's like, I, I can't just run. I can't just be active and then stay feeling good and having energy and my clothes fitting the same. Now, and this is terrible, I have to watch what I eat, which is the worst, right? Like my whole life, I haven't had to worry about what I eat, but now all of a sudden in my late 30s, I gotta worry about what I eat. Because me in my natural state, I mean, my natural state is, I'm telling you, midnight with a bag of pepperoni on the couch, eating it like it's chips. Like that is my natural state. With no effort put forth, that will be me. I will eat double my height and fruit by the foot daily without any effort put forth. Like that's my natural state. I have to put forth effort now to resist that. I have to put forth effort to, to get out and exercise and be active so that I feel better. When we don't put forth any effort, our lives spiritually, our lives mentally, our lives emotionally just start gaining weight and getting sluggish and we fall into folly. With no effort, that's what's gonna happen. We have to put forth effort to go after wisdom. We have to put forth effort. We have to work towards wisdom. But foolishness and folly, we can just fall into that with no effort whatsoever. Here's another way I've seen this story play out. 
Uh, when I was in college, I worked a summer at kind of an adventure camp. And so I was a camp counselor at this camp, and we would take students hiking and, and backpacking and things like that. And one of the things we would always take our high school groups to would be to go whitewater rafting. And so they trained us early in the summer on this one river. Uh, and then, you know, whenever you'd have a high school group, you get to take them whitewater rafting, which is awesome. So one day I show up with this group of high schoolers, and there's like three other counselors and myself, and we go to this rafting outfitter, the rafting guide to go down this river. And usually we would show up, they would have professional guides that would then put us in the life jackets, the helmets, the paddles, and then put us in rafts, and a guide would lead the raft down the river. Well, this particular day when we show up, the guy that runs the rafting outfitter is like, hey, we're short on guides. One of you camp counselors is going to have to be a river guide today. And I look, and all three other counselors are pointing at me. And they're like, I guess it's me then. And so then I find myself in the back of a raft, life jacket, helmet, paddle, having never guided a whitewater raft raft before. And so here I am with a group of high schoolers just trying to pretend that they're safe in my hands and that I know what I'm doing, which I do not. Like I'd rafted this river, I'd done a little bit of whitewater rafting, nowhere near enough to be able to guide and have people's lives in my hands. And the first thing I realized sitting in this boat in the middle of the river is that the river would not stop. Is that no matter what I do, I did not have control over the river. The only thing I could manage was the raft. I mean, that thing just keeps floating. And since it is flowing, like you're going with it. You can't stop it. And there's no anchor. So whatever I wanted to do, like I could not stop the river to make the boat hold still. So if there's a rock coming up, I mean, we were going straight into it. So very quickly, I had to learn how to manage this and tell the students in the boat to paddle hard. If we wanted to just stay still against the current, we had to paddle very, very hard. The whole boat had to be working. It took effort to not float down this river. That's the idea of folly and wisdom. With folly, with foolishness, temptation will just take us straight down a river if we don't resist it at all. But to find wisdom, we have to work to find the, the secrets of life, to go after the things promised to us in the book of Proverbs, we have to put forth effort. And the stronger the current, the more effort we have to put forth. And today, I would say the current of temptation, the current of the world is very strong. And so folly is something we can float into, but wisdom takes work. So here's the problem. We, we see all this cool stuff. Lady Wisdom, like she can help us out. Her, her truth is more precious than silver and gold. Like she's where it is at. But then folly is always chasing us. Here's the problem. I, I want what Lady Wisdom has, but I can't actually see her, right? I want to have what she promises in my life, but I can't lay hands on her. Like we're talking about how she's extending a hand, but it's allegorical, right? It's, it's a metaphor. There's no real lady that I could meet and like call up and be like, hey, wisdom, like what should I do here? I got this problem. How do I go through it? Because it's all a metaphor. But let's go a little bit further. Proverbs 8, 22 says this. It's again, wisdom talking to us. And she says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth when there were no depths, I was brought forth. That word brought forth in the Hebrew, if we really got into it, there's an idea of pain and writhing with this, with this word. And so there's an idea that something is brought forth by pain. Can you guys think of anything, any act that happens where something is brought forth through pain? Where are you at, moms? Mother's Day, they're all like, yeah, I know. Birth, baby. Like birth is bringing something forth through pain. And so there's the language here that God birthed wisdom, that God created wisdom, that wisdom 
is a child of God brought forth through pain. And then you might have caught that word there up in those verses where it says, at the beginning, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts, God creates wisdom, brings forth wisdom. That reminds me not just of Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the world. Wisdom here is saying, I was present there. I was the first of creation. That also reminds me of John chapter 1, verse 1, where the disciple John talks of Jesus and says, in the beginning was the word. The word being knowledge, being wisdom. In the beginning was the word of God. And the word was with God and the word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was there at the beginning. Jesus, who is God's child. We hear about this metaphor, this kind of imaginary character that is wisdom in Proverbs. But then in the book of John, we see wisdom in the flesh. And it's Jesus who was brought forth as God's child there at the beginning of creation, the first of everything. Here we have wisdom and Jesus are together as one. And so there's a great parallel here that wisdom is Jesus. Sure, we can't talk to the lady of wisdom. We can't actually grab her hand, but we can talk to Jesus and we can see what he did as wisdom personified on our earth. And so we can hear his teachings. We're hearing the voice of wisdom. When he calls us to love our neighbors, when he calls us to resist temptation, it's the voice of wisdom. John 1, 4 says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Proverbs 8, 35 says, for whoever finds me finds wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. If you pursue wisdom, you're pursuing Jesus. When you pursue Jesus, you pursue wisdom. But those who hate wisdom, who hate Jesus, love death, are bound for death. Folly will take us down the river towards death and destruction. So just like wisdom, Jesus calls to each of us. Just like wisdom, we have to answer. We have to put forth effort and pursue Jesus. With no effort, we float into destruction. And so this is what is laid out for us here in Proverbs 7 and Proverbs 8. And so what I hope you see from this is not just that wisdom takes effort, but faith, a relationship with Jesus, takes effort. We have to work to have a relationship with Jesus. Let me put it this way. In Revelation 3.20, we hear this vision that John is telling. There's tons of layers in Revelation. We won't get into all that. But he talks about the Lamb of Jesus speaking in Revelation 3.20. And Jesus says there, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he with me. Jesus doesn't barge in. He's not gonna kick the doors down. That's what foolishness does. That's what folly does. That's what that wayward woman did. She will grab you and drag you down. But Jesus will extend an invitation. And so without us putting forth the effort of taking his hand, we find ourselves being drugged down by folly and foolishness and temptation. A Christian life will not happen accidentally. It must be done with intentionality. You can't accident yourself into being a follower of Jesus. It takes being intentional about pursuing him, about accepting that invitation because a relationship, which is what Christianity is, 
A relationship takes effort, right? We all know this. If I told you, man, I love my wife, and then you're like, yeah, how much do you and your wife spend time together like each week? And I'm like, mm, about an hour every week, like one hour once a week, like most weeks, like sometimes every other week, depending on the weather on a Sunday morning, I spend that much time with my wife. You'd be like, I don't know if you really love her. I don't know if I'd call that a relationship, right? And yet for many church-going Americans, that's our only attempt at our relationship with Jesus is showing up an hour a week, maybe every other week, maybe an hour and 10 minutes if I'm preaching, right? Like we don't know how it's gonna go. And so this is our effort. Many of us put towards our relationship with Jesus, but then we would say, yeah, I love him. He's my Lord and my savior. Man, an hour a week is like maybe like talking to somebody, maybe being like interested in dating them. Lord and savior territory is way beyond an hour a week of effort. It means re-altering your life to his desires. It means taking time to talk with him, taking time to listen to him, taking time to study his instruction, his teaching, and changing the way I live based off of him. It is so much more than just going to church. If we're just going to church, I don't know if we're actually putting the effort into the relationship. And so then we look around and we say, man, I don't know, it just feels like foolishness and folly are dragging me down or pulling me away. Like I'm just always fighting this stuff in my life. I don't know why my life is falling apart when we haven't put the effort to paddle against the current, to have a relationship with Jesus because Christianity is a relationship and in a relationship takes effort. Don't hear me saying that you have to earn your salvation. That's not what I'm saying here. Your salvation was paid for by Jesus. Your salvation was brought forth through pain and great effort on God's part as he gave up his one and only son to die for our sins on the cross. So don't hear me saying like you have to work to earn the relationship, but a relationship takes effort. If you decide Jesus is your savior, you need to have that relationship with him. And so if we don't put in the effort, folly, temptation is gonna grab us it is always pursuing and it will pull us down and it will wreck our lives. It will float us down that river of destruction. And today the current is swift. So we have to paddle hard in our relationship with Jesus, taking his hand and pursuing him. Which really, if we look at this, we get into the steps of salvation. I don't wanna get ahead though. Let's go to Proverbs 9, okay? So we're gonna finish this out. We got Proverbs 7 about the wayward woman. We get Proverbs 8 about the woman of wisdom. And then Proverbs 9 talks about both of them, both of their invitation. It seems as if both of these characters have some type of feast that they've prepared. And now they're inviting people to come to the feast. Verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 16, the wayward woman says, whoever is simple, folly calls out, says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depth of Sheol. Man, that way looks enticing. That way looks like a lot of fun, but it is a way to death. The people at her table are zombies. They are dead. But then wisdom, however, promises this. Jesus promises this in verses four and six. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to, to be super wise. Whoever's simple, let him turn into this feast. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. So we have here 
the call of salvation. We hear what happens if we don't work against the call of folly. If we don't work against temptation, we're just going to fall into it and end up at a feast for the dead. But wisdom calls out to us and invites us to another feast. Jesus calls out to us and invites us to his table. And here we see the steps of salvation. We have to accept that invitation. We have to take Jesus's hands and admit, man, I am simple. I am not wise. I don't know everything. I don't know what I should know. And I recognize that. I recognize that I have sin. I have tons of foolishness and folly in my past. And so I need you to take me on the right path. That's the invitation of salvation is for us to recognize we need Jesus and then take his hand and give up our lives and our sins to him. And that's the beginning of that relationship that now takes our effort. I'm now saying I'm gonna reorient my life based off of Jesus's principles. I'm gonna do everything I can to learn what he says, to hear his voice, to speak to him through prayer, to hear his voice through his word. And I'm gonna realter my life based off of his teaching. And that's the effort of a relationship with Jesus. That's what it takes to take the hand of wisdom. So both have set up a feast. The wayward woman, the woman of wisdom, both have set up a feast. We hear that one is a path to death, the other is a path to life. And I can't read these words in Proverbs 9, verses 5 and 6. I can't read these words without thinking of the New Testament picture of communion of the feast that we get to take part in every week to acknowledge what Jesus has done for us, to remember the way that God sent his son and through great pain brought him into our world. And then Jesus through great pain died as a sacrifice to our sins. That is what God gave up to have a relationship with us. That is the invitation of wisdom. Great links to have you at his table. And Proverbs 9, 5 says, come and eat my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Jesus, before he died, he broke bread with his disciples and he passed it around. He said, this bread is my body broken for you. And the next day we see his body broken on the cross. Jesus took a cup and with his disciples, he passed it around. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. And then the next day we see his blood on the cross poured out, a sacrifice for our sins, a death in our place. That's how far God went to extend the invitation to you of having a relationship with him. It takes effort, but the main effort was done on God's part so that we can have a relationship with him. And so this morning, as we come to communion, I wanna remember these words in Proverbs. And it says, for I've mixed, I, I, I come and eat my bread and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight for by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life wisdom means life wisdom promises an inheritance jesus means life jesus promises us eternity so as the communion plate is passed around this morning i hope that you hear that that is your invitation to the table with jesus and i hope you will reflect upon whether or not you've answered that invitation and how much effort you were putting, putting into that relationship with your Savior. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that we have your word to us. And, and I pray, God, that we could cut through all the different layers of Proverbs to hear what you wanna say to us. 
Help us to hear the dangers of, of folly, the dangers of temptation. Help us to know that those things lead straight to death. But help us to see, God, that you have extended a hand of life to us. Something that we have seen portrayed in communion, God. And so God, as we gather around the communion table together, let us know that it is the only table that offers life. And I pray that we would be reflective, God, on what effort we're putting into our relationship with you now and what extra effort maybe we need to be taking to have a relationship with you, our creator, because we know you, your ways are the ways of wisdom and the ways to life. And we thank you, God, that you offered us that invitation. It's in Jesus' name I pray.